back. <laughs> Kid Rock's back. Got the intro music. I got the intro music. Is this the intro? This is the intro music. <laughs> That's our intro? Hmm. It's going to be our intro. I like that. That's nice. Do you know what this intro song's from? No. You don't know this legendary song? You don't know this? Song? Oh, I've heard this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is the intro. <laughs> I like it. This is John Cena. Walk out. I love this? that. Have you seen this? This is what we need of you. Right here, yeah. like hustle, loyalty. This guy has all the same principles. Maybe we could get Evan to do the yabba do part. Hustle. I got, I've got songs that we could could use. I just don't know what the Dude, like. I don't know. Um, I don't know what the. Uh, um, I don't know if you heard like, what the rights. Like what kind of rights we need? We'll make our own song. I don't. We need a producer. Don't I am, you dare! I, don't I, you dare! I am the producer. <laughs> okay. All right. Let me just test this. I mean, I think it's good. Feels pretty tested. Feels pretty tight. Do a mic check again. Mic check. I feel like you're talking lower than me. I'm talking in a normal capacity. This thing's in my face. I don't know what the best. Yeah, I mean, like if you move it a little further from your face, I could just increase the. Is this better? Is this what you like? I think just like lower it so you don't have to tilt your neck up in a lower, strange way. But I don't know if this stand. is the best or if this is the best. I mean, really, any angle. I don't know if I do that. Um, so we're just going to film you again. <laughs> Why don't you want to film you? I just think that it's going right. to be too far away. These are very expensive microphones. I expect them to pick up. Honestly, they're really not that expensive compared to what we could have got. Damn. I just went halfway, you know. I wanted you to be like, man. Just kind of chubbed up, not yeah. fully chubbed. Yeah. It's kind of fucked up. Well, it's like when we have multiple people on here, I want I want someone to get the shitty mic and them to look at it and be like, why does my mic look different? And us to be like, well, because you're I'm less in charge. important. Yeah. yeah. I want them to feel... I got a new podcast space I'm working on. I want us to feel astonishingly superior. I, I'm working on a new space. I haven't, showed, I haven't showed you yet. You haven't showed me? I haven't showed anybody yet. Where, where is this space? Is it like another location or this is like a, it's a another, space inside it's another, of a location? It's another location. It's a location that I would think that if I were to build it out, I would be the only one that would have the brain to do it. But yet somebody else in the Charlotte region has the same brain as me. And has created a space that I will hopefully acquire. Well, that's amazing. I thought you were going to say it was me. Um, All right, well, we're back. We're back with the the second episode of our podcast, which now has a name. Do you want to be the one to kind of announce... Announce the name of this podcast. This is you're on camera, by the way. So this is the first time you'll ever have announced this name. So you know if you need to like take I don't a stretch know break I, and kind of do I? Why don't you announce you it? You have to announce it. I, I mean, need you're to the host. It. I'm like the co-host. Well, I think we spent we spent like a couple weeks. I feel like it was a couple weeks, really, like thinking of a name. What yeah, we it? did have a few names. Uh, what, what was the was, first one? The first one was the Raunchy Boys. Raunchy Ra- Boys. Then it was Rowdy Boys. We were we were also looking at like you know if it could turn into like apparel or you know all sorts of stuff. We really think it yeah. robust. So yeah, like, I real I realized in the. In I also the, think we were on like a, that day. We were on like maybe ten of these energy drinks or something because we. Yeah, were I mean, on I, it. what I learned is that you know, words mean different things to different people. That's raunchy very true. to me, to you, me, I felt perfectly fine with Raunchy. Even Deb co-signed Raunchy, but we got vetoed. To some, by, yeah, it got, got vetoed by a lot of people. A lot of people vetoed it, and um, which I don't know if it says more about us or about them, because I wasn't thinking anything bad about Raunchy. Other people thought it was dirty. But in this dirty, you know? in this day and age, you have to. Uh, I think 
we've had some conversations with this. You have to be cognizant of how other people may perceive what you're doing, even though if you perceive it to not be bad. That's a, that's extremely valid. And then, and then, and then your excuse of like, oh, I didn't think of that almost always gets nullified and you're just fucked. Yeah, pretty much. I think uh, one of my favorites that you came up with, uh, and by favorite, I mean the one I hated most, was probably the upper crust. That was the most uh, confusing. I mean, Listen, if, pizza, it's a pizza concept, maybe. You if it know. had been a pizza concept, I would have been for it. I, I don't think that that's what it was. But like, you could say that you're part of the upper crust, and you're like, that. in that context, you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like, I'm the upper echelon. In that context, I could I could probably. They get it. You're right. Challenges. Like some people might just think about pizza, and they're like, "What the fuck?" Although I could talk about pizza all day, so it could play. It could be a. We could just be eating pizza. But we did land on since I was broke. Yeah, where did we? Uh, oh yeah, we I was listening inspired. to the Russ song. Actually, that was my game plan. I was driving around as I always do, listening to music as I generally always do, inspired by music, which is about ninety percent of my life, and. Um, you know, I was just shuffling through, and since I was broke, came on by Russ, and it was just the right vibe, and I could see the title and like the cover art and the stuff that he talks about in the song kind of um, plays with exactly, you know, what um, the basis of this podcast is, and so uh, I sent it to you, and you're like, yeah, I like it, and I think it it has meaning but it also has ability to be multi-directional and so um that's kind of what we landed on then you you whipped together some cover art um that i highly approve of and i think you know now we're here so we yep. actually have a name now since i was we have a name we've got a cover art we're going to be working on the intro song yeah i think it just gives us an open lane to it. like it's perfect it's like basically why we're here is that'll like, be great because since know, i was broke you know how far we've come and then what yeah. are we doing? I mean, I'm still broke, so it'll be a great transformation. I'm you know? broke. It's just different broke now. Yeah. It's just as levels to the broke. You're, yeah. you're broke, broke in inside, maybe. That, that too. <laughs> I'm also broke. You're broke. Your shoulder's fucked up. You know. I'm broke, but at least I don't like post screenshots of like revenue and like my bank account and stuff like some people do. That's true. Um, because have you updated if I would your say LinkedIn I was, since if last If I did episode? that and said I was broke, some people might get really offended. Yeah. I mean... It, I think that, you know, last time you left off letting us know you're going to be changing your, your LinkedIn bio, you know, but I, I didn't notice that change yet. So to, what, what am I supposed to change it to? Um, minimum, you know, five figure entrepreneur. Oh, oh. You could just go like range like, hey, I'm a five to eight figure pr- entrepreneur. Um, well, somebody posted this the other day and I really like it was. Um, I don't know if I'll say his name, but somebody I follow that I'm Internet friends with. Mm-hmm. That I respect his perspective. Um, he's like a no bullshit. Uh, Does he have a dog with no legs? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. He posted this the other day, and I I didn't repost it, but I screenshot it because I just greatly appreciate also the based on our conversations how um, relevant it was. People people who are actually rich don't post photos of checks, wires, cash, or revenue. And just a stop, 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 facts, facts, facts. And I will say that's very accurate. I'd say a lot of people that are selling courses and bullshit post all this bullshit because they just like, you know, it's like most of the people that post cars, they don't actually own them or can afford them or it's not even theirs just because they are trying to leverage that as to like, you know, reel in some folks for a sale. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what we were talking about this the other day. It's like if you're really all that, you don't you don't necessarily I'm go too busy to social doing media. real shit. You know, like to, well, it's like social media is not going to attract your ideal candidate. For it's most hard things. enough to get for you to get me in here to do this fucking podcast. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on the space you're in. Like, if you're selling like a consumer product good, then obviously promoting what you're selling on or what you're doing on social makes sense. But when you see people like recruiting or like flaunting some of those numbers as a as a way to draw in people that they can recruit for employment it, it gives off like mlm vibes you know and it's yeah like, just it like when seedy. you're posting stuff like that and like putting out all these outrageous numbers but then like nobody really knows what the fuck you do other than post that and then post sign up for my course it's pretty evident to people that are actually making money that like you're bullshit 
Oh, yeah. But there's like a logical conflict of interest because it's like, you know, if you're bragging about sales and numbers and making it seem easy, then either you're putting out there that what you do is actually really easy and anyone could do it or you're being disingenuous and it's actually challenging, but you're making it seem easy to pull one over on people that would not know any better. Yeah, it's easy to think that you can do it. I think that's like some people are like, oh, I think I could do it, but like I haven't the time, but like I'm going to sell this course on how to do it because maybe somebody else will find the time to actually do it. But the problem is, is that they never did it. It's like people, it's like usually like the professor that teaches a business class. Most of the times they're like a failed business person. And they teach you all these yeah. principles, but like they've never actually applied it and then been successful more times than not. Yeah. I, someone else on a podcast I was listening to was talking about how in different universities now they offer like social media uh, or like influencer courses. Like you can learn how to become an influencer. And it's like, Who's teaching that class? It's like no one that's a successful influencer that's making their livelihood doing that is like, you know what? I'm going to be a professor. You know, it's like that it's doesn't just, make any it's sense. It's just concepts. Yeah. You're just teaching concepts. But it's like where's the real, like half the stuff that people talk about in business, I'm like, dude, I probably don't follow any of the guiding principles that most people would preach. Yeah, I think it's just like, and maybe there's just different types of people and people learn differently of course but the, at the end of the day there's like there's so many events and masterminds and things like that but if you look at the people speaking they generally weren't the people that went to masterminds necessarily like even Gary Vee will say like I don't read books you know yeah. not to say that reading books is wrong but it's like a lot of times the people that are outliers that we all know and aspire to be like or what have you they're not people that are consumers of these like knowledge shares yeah, you know, it's just interesting how that whole. There's nothing wrong with putting that knowledge out there, but I could just tell the difference. When like Ed, Ed Milet goes and talks about shit, like he's got a lot of nice stuff: houses, cars, mm -hmm. watches, travels, private jets. But like he doesn't post in the way where like he's using that as a leverage tool to like sell some course. Mm -hmm. It's just like you see it because it's part of his life. Yeah, but it's not like that's not like his like the forefront of his sales pitch. People yeah. just see that they're like, oh, he looks successful. He has this course. Or this event that we can go to, it's like he's a proven business owner that's done. Yeah, a lot. but do you think that even? I just feel like there's so many people that probably buy those courses, and like ninety plus percent don't get the outcome that they want from it. Because at the end of the day, it's like if you are really destined to do any particular thing, like you shouldn't need that to like push you over the edge. Like you're gonna naturally do it. Like especially at talk like content creators, it's like so many people want to create content, right? Yeah. Like, how many people do we talk to that, like, oh, I want to create content, but they have no, like, they haven't tried to do it. They have no, like, a clarity on what they're trying to do. Like, you really can't hire someone to, like, totally do that unless you're an active part of the process because it's, like, it has to be authentic in order to be successful. Well, people want the cheat code. So they're like, oh, I am not going to, like, button down and and like go and learn this on google or youtube or whatever and then really figure it out they think like they're gonna buy a course and spend 500 bucks a thousand bucks and be like oh this is going to put me 10 steps ahead but at the end of the day it's like you weren't willing to do the work in the first place so even if i give you this information whether it's good or not you're not going to do the work that's you know you still have to do the work and so like yeah. they think it's like oh it's gonna like this is going to help me bypass five years. It's like, no, you're just going to get a bunch of stuff that you could have Googled probably, and you still have to go out there and, and then apply it and execute on it. And most people just aren't willing to do that. They yeah. just think they just want everybody wants a fucking passive income. Passive income is a complete fucking farce. Yeah. Well, it's like I would say people like you and I are people that have, we've accumulated a lot of different skills, but it's it usually starts with us just being interested in something enough to where we just take action on our own and then you know through that interest and like desire to learn and do the work up front we naturally will like find stuff that we want to dive deeper into you well know that's what I mean? why they talk about doing what you love it's like people people also romanticize that way too much it's not about like oh my god i love it it's just like oh you have to be so interested in something that like i don't have to be paid to like nerd out and research it and learn about it and go apply it and maybe not make any money off it for a while and then eventually you'll probably make money off it and that's like what people that's what that means yeah. it's like you got to do something that you love so much or are willing to do so much usually it's something that you love that like you may not get paid yeah but eventually you will because you're will you just like it so much you're gonna do the work like mr beast was like posting videos forever you yeah. know, just because he. What do you think stands in people's way of like just starting? Because some people just don't start. Because people they, are pussies. They think they have an interest in something, but they don't actually start doing. Or sorry, the thing. that's not politically correct. People are scared. Soft. Soft. They're soft. 
Rust song. They want a soft life. Pussies. Soft. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, that's that's valid. All right. Well, let's talk about this trip you went on. You were gone for three weeks. You sent me a lot of clips of your journey while I, I sat. I didn't send you early. enough. I need to finish that. I need to send you. So that. The, so I Philip sends me all these clips. He's like, "Hey, can you edit these together?" And I'm just sitting there like waking up in Raleigh at like 8 a.m. getting all these clips of his day before, like you know, eating out every night. I'm like, man, I almost feel like I'm there, but I'm just like I'm not. You know, I'm yeah, just, would, I'm just I, editing your trip. Well, I basically decided I was taking way too much content. <laughs> Or video. They were pretty good I, clips. I mean, we made some good little videos out of what you shot. Yes, I'm saying, but I think we should just do a full roundhouse of like everything instead of just these broken up clips because it was too much work for me to like keep uploading. Also, like my data limits in Europe were small, but I went to uh, Saint Tropez and then um, in and around Saint Tropez, there's like a bunch of small beaches and stuff. And then we uh, had a car and we drove up to uh, Cannes and then Monaco. And back, and basically just went up and down the kind of the coast of France, and then we went to Portugal, and we were in Portugal into a wedding, and then we went up and down kind of the same the coast of Portugal, and then uh, about two and a half weeks in, you're ready to go home. A lot of weddings for you recently. Yeah, then I went to Rob's wedding a week after. Same suit, you got just new different suit, suit. Different suit. Well, I bought like seven suits last year, and I haven't worn them yet, so like I'm really trying them out. Nice, they're working. That's if great. I can still fit in them. So what what was the reason you were at a wedding in in Portugal? How does um, that, how did that how did that let's get into the origins? I uh, am in the marble business, stone and marble, and uh, the the people over there that we are in partnership with, um, they invited me to a wedding that was their daughter's wedding. Um, you know, I think I don't know if people know about the marble industry, but it's kind of like the mob. Um, you can't just like hop in or just like buy your way in. Doesn't he's work talking like about that. marbles, by the way, like the game, like it's really competitive marbles. Yeah. <laughs> they get a big, a big ring over there, and if you get the last one knocked out, like you yeah. actually get executed on the spot. Yeah, but uh, you can't really get into the business, or I mean, or you'd be a fucking outlier. But if you really want to get into it, you got to be part of a family, and I just kind of um, befriended uh, a family. Um, inadvertently by making friends on the lake here. And uh, a good friend, Bennett, his family is um, tied into to marble very deep in, in Portugal and Europe. And, uh, yeah, they were looking for uh, somebody to kind of lead the charge for the next generation. And uh, we've kind of bought into that business and um, started that in the last year and a half. And that's been um, very expensive. and very fun yeah so last but, episode but we very off. but keyword there is the fucking expensive it's very expensive business to be in yeah let, let's talk about that so last time we left off with like the origin of logistics and kind of got into somewhat near current date so then when did when did the marvel start because the marvel's called phil house yeah and what's um, kind of the vision there? I mean, you've got a lot of different stuff that you're cooking up inside of just the marble and stone, but, you know. Well, I love, um, you know, we do a lot of appliances. We're a lot of the um, home builder kind of uh, sector. So uh, I also do a lot of house flips and renovations and investing in real estate. And so inadvertently, you know, then you have to use material like marble or, you know, tile or what have you to do those kind of projects. And so um, I had done a huge renovation on the house that I was at on the lake. Um, and, uh, yeah, it just kind of when the opportunity kind of presented itself, I was like this kind of fits right into somewhat of our wheelhouse. You know, we're already doing a lot of flooring and tile and appliances through our other business this just makes a lot of sense and i'm doing a lot of house flips and renovations and investing um in properties and so if we can somewhat vertically integrate and get amazing quality product and also fabricate and create stuff and um be super integrated from that aspect then why not that's kind of where we're at we were you know importing stone from all over um we're also uh have a factory in portugal making a lot of furniture out of marble and doing a lot of custom bespoke stuff that um even the average um marble importer you know wouldn't be able to do 
it's just a different level of access and um, creativity that we're kind of bringing here. And so I think the market is generally a lot of people are trying to service everybody and do um, <clears throat> cheap stuff and quartz and um, kind of serve you are doing a house that's 200,000 to a million bucks. And, you know, we're trying to uh, service a higher end market. That's, you know, houses starting at 2 million going upwards of 30. Um, and Charlotte's kind of a great market to do that. Cause we have a lot of, um, I mean, you have sports teams and stuff and a lot of high end stuff. You have a lot of high end builders and you have the lake and, um, there's a, some big, big money thrown around here. Um, and a lot of the references that those people are using are, you know, stone products that are, you know, um, you can only source from California or Miami or New York or these high end markets where people are willing to spend the money. And so, um, I didn't see any of that here. So to me, I really wanted to create this like restoration hardware experience of like coming in and it's a super clean warehouse and incredible stone. I'm not sourcing, you know, I might have a third of the size of inventory everybody else, but I have 4X the, you know, dollar amount of inventory just because the quality of inventory that we have. And then we have a lot of custom ability that nobody else has. Um, so I think we bring just a unique piece to the market and it seems we've had some, you know, really good feedback as to, um, people liking what we're kind of bringing to the table. Yeah. So last time you talked about your owning your skills, being able to kind of identify opportunity. Like, where do you think gives us the edge with Phil House and the the stone and the marble here now? Like, and like where we've gotten to? Because I mean, even since I've been here, the warehouse right behind you has gotten gone from like one row to like being completely filled with very exotic looking slabs. You know, like it's definitely we post it up and people are just gawk at everyone that comes in is impressed so yeah i i think um i mean the biggest thing was um you know having access to the family you know like being able to buy into that and be a part of that instead of just being kind of like an outsider maybe having a relationship you know with like a what would be a vendor right Mm -hmm. from overseas and i think the difference is that we're you know, part of that family now. We've, you know, we've bought into that. And so there's um, like a quarry to quarry network between families. So if you own a quarry in Portugal, then you have, you know, want to source stuff from Italy. It's like quarry is reaching out to the Italian quarry and you're kind of swapping, you know, um, this sort of price levels that the average buyer, even if they're a big buyer, wouldn't get because you're, they want to bring stuff from Portugal and vice versa. Um, the other side of that is we're able, you know, we have, um, really good fabrication out there so we can create custom vanities and custom furniture pieces, which we've done. Um, so I think our just access is one thing that intrigued me, um, knowing that, Hey, like this business is very hard to get into, very hard to kind of break the barrier. And we have this unique opportunity that presented itself to kind of break that barrier all the way through. And then, um, when I look at material and some of that's just finding um, what's available here and like feedback from people, it's like there's a lot of saturation of just like low level material and everybody's mm-hmm. kind of fighting for the bottom. And that's because like you, I guess like your, your buyer pool's bigger, right? Like if you can sell to people who are buying, you know, fixing up a $200,000 house and a $300,000 house and a million dollar house and a $2 million, the spread's big. Um, but I'm not really interested in that. Cause I know my product when I renovate houses, they're, you know, they're luxury homes, they're big homes. Um, and I know kind of the level of taste that requires to like execute on that and add value and then resell it. And so, um, I'm kind of a buyer of my product. So I know kind of what the expectation is. I know what's available and I know how to differentiate. And then from a buyer experience, most marble and stone is sold just out of just like a really dingy warehouse. And I've never been into a space Stone wise, especially in this area where it's like you walk in, you feel like, like, I don't know if you've been to restoration hardware. It's like when you walk into restoration hardware, they have the restaurant up top and you come in and it's this very open space and it's very curated and they have all these different kind of aesthetics and looks in there. And like you really, whenever I go in there, I'm like, I really want to just do a house. Like I don't even have a project. It's like evokes this emotion of like, I want to do a project because all this furniture looks amazing and it's staged so well. Like that's what I'm trying to create our new stone studios. Like you walk in and people are like, I might not even have a project, but I love this slab so much. Like we need to put this in something. Like it's like driving people to do it. And the price points that we're at and the quality material we have, it's like price isn't really the factor. It's just like the wow. You know, like people are buying on emotion. 
Um, but stone is like an emotional experience. It's natural stone. No two blocks are the same. No two slabs are the same. And so um, that's kind of the fun of it, like coming from that our creative background. This is just like a whole new realm of creativity. Yeah, and I think also like you're saying, you are a buyer of that kind of material. And so you understand the other buyers and you understand that like people at that level are really looking for, they're not, the value is also in part of it being like bespoke, you know, especially when it's then applied to whatever the project is, like it becomes a very unique piece, a talking piece, like something that says something about them as a person most times with the type of slabs that we're, we're selling at least. But what would you say has been like the biggest learning curve getting into it? Cause it's been like a year now, you know, what's been the biggest challenge? Well, it's expensive. Like yeah. <laughs> there's no other way to put it. Like you don't really, you it's also it's international so like the you know just the trade itself is um it's just more complex uh but i would say like there's no real bank that's like financing stone it's fragile it's there's too much time in between getting there so you really have to like outlay a lot of cash especially for what we're having it's just a lot of cash out to get material and then it sits you know it just it's heavy takes a lot of equipment to move it unload it i mean it's heavy stuff it's so dangerous logistically it's a logistical challenge for sure and it's like we've never done that like and i'm the type of guy i'm like yeah let's do it and then we get containers that come here we have a forklift that is you know cannot hold the capacity of these slabs we've never cut slabs out of a container before never unloaded them we have none of the right equipment i think the first container sat for like two weeks just like every day for like 15 hours a day trying to figure out how to get it out in the container trying to cut it out just sore like you're so sore at the end of the day like i don't even want to go to the gym and so like that was the biggest challenge up front was like oh like we'll unload it we've watched some youtube videos and then it gets here and it's like I, that's like goes back to our point before it's like it's just execution like at that point i'm like this shit's here and it costs me money every day the container sits mm-hmm. so like we got to figure this shit out i can't reject this you know like yeah. so like we really had to figure it out we went to like six or seven forklifts a bunch of strap variations techniques the Portuguese tell you to use soap water, which you slide know, it on when out. you've been you, when you've been trying to cut slabs out of a container for seven week for seven days straight, and you go reach out to the Portuguese for advice, and they tell you soap water. You just want to tell them to go fuck themselves. You're like, dude, come here and Someone put built this, the pyramids. Yeah, you know? come here and put the soap water down, and you pull it out because this shit's not working, man. Um, but we figured it out, and so I'd say the biggest learning curve was I think the cadence of the sale is different. It's big material. You need to store it. Even if I sell it to somebody, they may not, you know, like I'm doing, we're doing a project right now. And like takes, by the time you're putting stone in, you're towards, you know, ni- the 90% mark of the project. So it's like, it takes a while to build a house. And, you yeah. know, and so like it, it may need to sit and they have a deposit on it. So you need space to store it. Um, and then loading it, unloading it, it's fragile. Just a lot of factors, and it's very costly. So that's just the compared to our other business, which moves very fast. This every day it sales, every day you're getting paid. It's just, um, it's a very different business. But patience is the name of the game always. So I I think that most people would have quit by now. Um, and I refuse. I've doubled down. We're doing a new space and um buying more stone and we have a whole tile you know line that's coming out you know that's um we've been you know researching the market and working with vendors and customers onto you know what's kind of on trend coming up in the next couple years so um we're doing a lot but it has not paid back all the money we've put into it yet now i have to ask you this just as knowing you like is is the stone and marble like you getting access and buying all this and getting this here is this really just a means for you to be able to create your own furniture because i feel like i feel like the undertone is like all right let me build this business but really i just want to make my own furniture out of this eventually well talk, talk about the furniture side. i mean it's like when i make clothes now like i'm like oh let's make company apparel i have all the access i can make whatever i want you know and i can make the best of the best and yeah it's like there's some selfish aspect there i'm like i can make some cool furniture and like tap into my like creative wants and needs and then also like any project i have i can put the best stone in for the best price possible i'm not getting charged at 200 percent markup um but inadvertently i'm by also like a cure uh, you know like acquired all this extra cost too i have a bunch of inventory and a, like millions of dollars of it 
buying forklifts that we bought a quarter million dollar forklift like there's you know there's like a lot of costs so it's like yeah there's some selfish need but like i'm really looking at it as like it's, this business needs to work but i believe in the business model i believe like the itch that we're scratching and like the niche that we're tackling in the market that um regardless of the economy i think will work mm-hmm. maybe i'm fucking wrong though well the good thing is i don't think marvel has a shelf life so this just is hold true. on to it you know that's true it will be there yeah. Unless it's it falls a, it's, over. It's, it's an asset. Unless it falls over. it falls over, <laughs> over like a couple of slaps have. That's the other thing. You know, slaps break. Yeah. That's yeah. A, a shame. It is, It is like, you know, I've been fortunate not to see any major slab break, but every time like a little piece breaks off or something happens, it, it does make you cringe pretty hard. Yeah, well, I walked in after the first container or second container we unloaded and we had some slabs and we thought we'd just leave them standing there upright like in the bundle but that a bundle that we've cut out so like it lost probably half of its integrity and i I think we lost like six bundles jeez which equates to like what roughly approximately uh of that material it wasn't that crazy but it's like 30 grand yeah plus or minus still painful still painful that's my cause when you sit in here and you sit here and you hear like a loud sound out in the warehouse you just like you wait for a second (laughs) franco franco called me He's like, we got a problem, and I'm just infuriated. Yeah, but mostly infuriated because I was like, I kind of called. I was like, I don't know if we should just do this, but that's like the learning curve. Yeah, but it's also like, you got to pay to play. Quit. You got to pay to learn. Yeah, it is what it is. Like, you either buy courses or you just get out there and do it on your own. And yeah, pay pay that. I mean, that's literally dude. Like unloading containers and everything. I just like we. I'm I'm like I'm just gonna figure it out. I remember sitting there. I was probably at my peak, like ten days in, and I'm like. I don't think I can figure this out. They're just staring at it, sweating, sore, clothes ripped. We've been in there like Palms heavy, knees till, weak. till like 10 p.m. at night, like crawling into the back of the container, like, you know, a two foot gap on the roof going all the way in the back. I'm like, I don't think this is fucking possible. It's not OSHA approved. Absolutely not. And um, I don't know. We fucking figured it out. I just refused to fucking lose. Now you've got a whole. I remember looking. I was like, I refuse to fucking lose this. I think to go back to the course thing though, it's like that's what people forget is like you could pay for the most expensive course and like learn all the material, but then you're still gonna have to like take some L's actually doing the thing. Yeah, you're gonna do it, and like maybe the guy was in a different market that he applied it, so that didn't work. You had to pivot. Like, there's so many variables. But but would you say that like people like when you're actually just trying to do it right? Like, I feel like you've probably experienced this a lot. Is like when people see you actually putting effort in and putting your own skin in it. Like instead of charging you, people just want to help. Like you succeed, you know. So it's like why pay for the course when you could just go start doing the thing and then probably get people that are actually worth learning from that want to stick their hand out and help because they don't need to sell a course to like make their money, you know? Yeah. That's the way I usually see it. Yeah. Again, I just think people want shortcuts. Like I like, sure. Do I wish that we bought the stone and I could just like wholesale it all and move it as fast as we move appliances and like this warehouse is empty and like, it was that easy. like, that'd be, that's what I thought. I was like, Oh yeah, this is like plug and play. This will work just, and it's not that at all. I mean, you should use soap water. We're probably, yeah, we're probably like the sixth or seventh iteration of like the sales process on this. Um, And that's fine. But um, yeah, it's just a different beast. And so, like, you just, I believe in the outcome and like what we're doing. And I believe it'll be successful. So, like, I'm willing to put in the work and the like extended amount of time to turn inventory and like bring back all the money we've put out because, like, I believe that like, in 20 years like it'll be worth it you know this business will be a behemoth and we'll be a huge player and um you know we're ahead of the curve i just think i see where kind of the high-end market's going and then where the needs are and um i don't think there's enough people servicing that because mm. i don't know they're scared that maybe rich people don't want to buy stuff but I, the economy's down and People are still buying Bentleys and houses and fucking trips. And I went to Europe and it was jam packed and Monaco. And, you know, it's like they're just, they play in a completely different realm. Yeah. Well, I think also, too, to your point, like people are trying to service everyone. So they don't have a ton of this riskier inventory because they're like, well, we could just get volume of the cheaper stuff that most people are going to want. But, you know, that's, that makes Exactly. Them I don't want to like, I listen, we have people that bring in like Turkish stone and Turkish stone is really fucking cheap. And they make this Turkish tile that's like pool tile. And they're all selling it for fucking, call it a dollar a square foot. 
They're like, well, come to us and buy from us. And they're like, well, why would I buy from you? And buy them this way. Like, well, I'll do it for 95 cents a square foot. And then it goes down to 92. And then they're all playing the game of like, who's the cheapest? And you play that game. It's like, there's no, you're not making any money. You might be moving $100 million worth of this shit. But if you're selling it for cost, it doesn't fucking matter. Mm-hmm. You're not making any fucking money. And so, like, I'd rather be the guy that maybe sells, you know, a tenth of that but we're making a ton of profit, you know? And it's like, I'm not just here just like handing out material for the sake of doing it. Like it's, it needs to be a viable business. And so like, I think differentiating yourself, whether that's being more expensive or having better material, whatever, you may not have the same sales volume, but it's like, we're fucking making money, you know? And we have a, like a, a great market that we're scratching an itch where they feel like it's really tough to find really quality shit. I mean, it's really hard, especially in Charlotte, to find really quality shit. Most people come in here like, yeah, we went here, they don't have, nothing's on the ground, not in stock. Everybody's like trying to pre-sell stuff from overseas and the overseas people fucking hate it. All the Italian quarries and Portuguese quarry hate nothing more than American people come in there, vendors come in there trying to buy shit. They buy one nice bundle and then they buy a bunch of bullshit nobody's Mm -hmm. out there like hanging their nuts and actually buying a bunch of the really good stuff because they're fucking pussies they're scared but everybody wants that stuff and when we have it on the ground people walking like i can't believe you have this on the ground that's available Mm -hmm. that's nuts that's insane to them it's usually you're placing an order to maybe get it on a container to maybe get it here in like you know yeah 50 days i think one of our like things that we talk about a lot is just the aesthetic of like the building we're in right now so talk to me a little bit about the uh the showroom the stone stone showroom yeah most warehouse like our warehouse although our warehouse is pretty nice in here yeah i just yeah. mean like the present like the getting people here right is like is like uh not always the easiest like to mean? walk the back right like yeah I th- what i want is like we're, we're housing multiple companies in here and yeah. so with the stone stuff i want it because it's so high end, I don't want to muddy the experience. So for me, like the new space, it's 30 foot ceilings, got like these skylights built in. It's super natural light. We put a ton of LED lights. We polished all the floors. Like it's a fucking showroom. It's 25,000 square feet of just pure, you can lick off the floor. And most, no warehouses are like that. They don't have tall ceilings like that. All warehouses are old. It's a brand new warehouse. Um, no warehouse has skylights like that. Like not, there's nothing like it. And so that's what I, when you come in, there's no muddy experience. You walk in, it's pristine. There's a curated selection of slabs. We can host events in there with really high-end builders. And you walk in, it's just slabs, just curated. Like we're walking through, you know, like an art gallery, but for marble. And we have our furniture pieces in there and it's open space. It's not all jam-packed in there. It's spread out and it's airy. And there's no experience like that, except for the only thing I can equate to is like walking into like a, a restoration hardware where mm-hmm. you feel like it's like well placed, well put out, like curated. You know, there's a restaurant in some of them and like you can host events. Like that's what I want out of our space. And there's nothing like that here. And it costs a lot of fucking money. The floors, just to polish the floors is $60,000. Yeah, that was uh. And we even went in there and decided between like yeah, and there's cheaper options. There's twenty thousand dollar option, thirty. You could do like a poly floor where they, it's like that super gloss, but like none of that stuff holds up well to like a forklift or a lot of foot traffic. And so like the most expensive option, sixty grand, but it's gonna last a lifetime, and you're not repolishing this floor, or resurfacing it. You can roll forklifts on it, and it's na- the natural polished stone, but it looks incredible. But it's a fucking process, and it's fucking expensive. Yeah, and that's just money out the door just to get the floors before you even put anything in there. So, you know, the building cost you know shit ton per month. It's like twenty grand per month. I mean, this is like just, that's just the building. That's not even inventory. I can't even use it for months. I can't even like use while. it for months. And then like you have to do the build out in there. That's another six months. Like people, you know, it's like it's not cheap. You know, so it's like yeah. people won't do it because they're like, eh, like whatever. Like I'm like, yeah, I want somebody to walk in and like you have a Bentley parked in there and you have some slabs and like super dope furniture and stuff that person's like dude this is like you know that person walks in like yo this is like made for me it's like Mm -hmm. tailored to somebody that wants to spend money so when you walk into a really nice ferrari dealership or lamborghini dealership it's like you're like this is a different vibe in here it's smaller but it's super curated it doesn't have a bunch of other bullshit in there like it's just a different experience yeah no i feel like you're when people go into those types of spaces i mean when you meet people that have stuff from restoration hardware or even any of like those 
kind of like upper tier furniture brands, like people let you know, like, oh yeah, this couch is from here. You know, yeah. like it's a, they're buying into that brand. I and mean, that. listen, I bought, I just bought one for the house we're doing at the beach. Mm-hmm. It's a twenty three thousand dollars sofa. Yeah, it's like it's a different. I love that sofa. You hop on those cloud sofas, you love it. But it's like not everybody's going in and buying a twenty three thousand dollars sofa. Not yet. But like, there's people who are buying it. And like, think about Restoration Hardware. It's like five floors tall. It's like the just the amount of money to build that out. I mean, it's nuts. Mm-hmm. It's like they're selling enough of that high end fucking furniture to where it's you know making them a ton of money. Yeah, that space is worth it. And everybody wants to go to Restoration Hardware, and then everybody wants to go to the restaurant. You know, like well, it's like people that can't afford it even, right? Like yeah, they'll walk like, it long before and set all that stuff and just dream about like buying yeah, that's that, Pinterest, ca- that's that exact couch you bought. Like so I'm sure it's on a, t- a lot of people's Pinterest board that Pinterest are years board. away from getting, getting That's it. the thing is like people show us stuff all the time from like Pinterest boards or whatever and it's like stone that's in California because California has that market, but it's like it's too expensive to send two, three slabs across the US. Mm-hmm. I'm like, but the people want it here. So yeah. there's a reference photo, it's like where can I get this? What can I find that's equivalent? Usually I find the equivalent. Like, oh, let me f- Calcutta gold quartz. I'm like, no, how about just Calcutta gold, the real thing? I don't, I don't need to send you the quartz version because yeah. yeah, I got the real deal. I got what it's named after, mm-hmm. what it's faking to be. Yeah, so, so going back to like our, our new podcast title, Since I Was Broke, you know, what has been one of the bigger curves for you like personally as this has all grown? Has it been like, I mean, you've you've gotten to way bigger deals, and obviously, like you're talking about, like there's just a lot more money going out. Have you had to learn how to, like, be more creative with you know, like using money and leveraging you know banks and things like that? Because I'm I'd have to imagine that's like a whole new skill set as well as like things have scaled up. Yeah, I, I definitely think like like I've bootstrapped all my businesses, um, but. I think as you scale and grow, especially the, our other company and like the way that it's going, it's like sometimes, you know, you might be like five steps ahead of like maybe where the cash flow is or whatever. Um, and so, or just anticipating stuff like, mm-hmm. hey, we might be trying to do like three things at once. And like, I don't just as a safety net, you know, of like, hey, we have some gap funding on something, you know, like using the banks and like debt, you know, there's good debt out there, you know, you just gotta be smart. So like building a relationship with a bank is a very smart thing to do off gate. I would say that you should be best friends with your bank, your local bank soon. That's what I do. I have meetings with bankers all the time now because mm-hmm. they, they want our money and they want our business and they want to help, you know, it's like, that stuff becomes very valuable when you're really trying to like create a finance stuff or um, do multiple things at once or just grow, you know, or it's like, even if you have the money, it's like, why would I use my own if I could use the banks and the interest rates super cheap, you know, like, well, yeah, well, like you're talking about, even if you're trying to prove a concept, right? Like let's say you're proving a concept on a business and you borrow a hundred grand it's like I could borrow mine or I could borrow a hundred grand from the bank and let's say the business only makes five grand and you realize it's not worth it. It's like, cool, you pay back the hundred grand because you make it back. Cost you five grand to try it. Or you could have put your own money out there and let's say you needed that money for something else to run your other business or your life or whatever. So it's like being friends with the bank is, that's where you want to be. But you want to get to the point where you're not calling the bank. The bank's calling you and saying, how much money can I give you? That's what I'm trying to do now. Yeah, when did you first have to experience that? Like getting into the housing side of when stuff? When I or started what? buying houses, that's yeah. when I like became friends with the bank and I just like happened to be in the beach market and like the they weren't doing jumbos at the time. So I got like a half regular loan and then like a half kind of creative loan from First Citizens. And then I, from there, just like forged a relationship with them. And then as we talked about doing commercial and more houses, also like how much you're borrowing from one bank, you know, what their limits are or like for, you know, what their limits are for you. It's like, oh, like maybe I need to do this situation with another bank. So you have mm-hmm. all these pots that you can pull from to kind of like shuffle as you move. Um, so it's like the benefit of me now is like when I go buy a house, like I don't have to go through a, like a regular loan process. Like the average person has to go and buy a house just submit all these documents and, you know, like proof of funds and yada, yada. I'm like, I just have a really great relationship with like these banks and they're not all huge banks. There's some like smaller local banks or credit unions, whatever. I just call them like, Hey man, I want to buy this house for 4 million bucks. They're like, cool. You're good. Mm -hmm. Approved on the phone. 
nothing else. Yeah. And they send them a closing stone. That's it. It's funded. So it's like, there's power in that, you know? And like, that's nice to like, especially when you like, time is of the essence, mm-hmm. something worse than just having to like go through all this paperwork and bullshit. We do a lot of stuff with Bank of America and I fucking hate Bank of America. And we do a lot with them. It's every time it's like, I'm closing out a, a loan that we have with them just because like, it's so, it's hard just to pay it. I told him it's dumb. I'm like, I want to pay off a half a million dollar loan. It should be as easy as me saying like, we have a bank account with you, plenty of money in it. I want to pay off this loan. Mm-hmm. They should be able to pay it off. They, they want a letterhead and sign this, go through that. It's taking three weeks. Mm-hmm. I told him if I owed you the money, like I was late on making the payment on it, you would, you would, quick, yeah. you'd make it that day that you would pull funds out, get it paid, the least amount of paperwork, you know, like, and it's just these huge banks. Sometimes they're so pain in the ass to deal with. Like you have like a local bank or a smaller bank that can still loan you the same amount of money, but it's like, I can call them and get stuff done over the phone or text my banker. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the relationship I like to have. So like, I like to pull out of these like smaller banks. Cause I'm like, they think like a human. Yeah. The other so banks, think, it's like, yeah. it's impossible. To, I even have their cell phone number. It's impossible again. We do, millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars of Bank of America and it's still like pulling teeth to get stuff done. Yeah, it'd be uh, pretty frustrating. It's fucking annoying. I told him. Like at my email, I'm like, this is really fucking annoying. This is so stupid. This process makes no sense. At the bank? Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to pay off I'm trying to pay I'm trying to pay off something that you guys gave us a $500,000 loan. I'm trying I want to pay it and you're like making it really hard. Yeah, they want you to have the loan out. Yeah, I'm like, what the fuck is this? This is stupid. Yeah, I think that that's like one of the things that even you see people like right now, especially with like the way the market is, people are like, oh, it's interest rate, this or that. It's like, but the people that are at the banks that are getting these loans approved, like they don't actually really understand the math behind all of it from like a complete picture like within the within the framework that they're supposed to sell it makes sense well people but like in the main picture of like an overall investment it's like it does if people really did the research and like did the numbers and did the math like a lot of times it's really not as a people are, people are usually sweating interest rates are people that are stretching themselves and probably shouldn't yeah. be buying the house but second of all you know people talk about like um housing and the economy and like sure there's some markets that are oversaturated and there's gonna be people that were wannabe investors that thought they're gonna flip a house that you may sell it for way less because they have to get out of it and they can't float the money to keep it um but there's this whole other side again like you just talk about the where you are financially it's like i don't i get interest rates in the threes still but that's because i have a great relationship with the bank and they like my portfolio and what I'm doing, you know, or like you may be 1031ing money from one asset to another. If you sell it, it's like, there's, I'm not, I'm not paying this. It, I'm not getting a loan out. I may just be absorbing, you know, moving one to the other, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's just like people think, I don't know. There's just like a pocket of the economy that gets really the, the shit end of the stick. It's usually like the, you know, middle-class, lower middle-class, um, and that's unfortunate that it's that way, but, um, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's definitely interesting. Like people's perspective on that. Like people just, again, it's like a knowledge and like house. information gap. And then like with people, being it's really just, it's just like want. financial literacy. Yeah. Like there's a huge information gap and it's like, people don't think about a lot of this stuff. I mean, you think about it, it's like you sell a house for 4 million, you have to, and you 1031 it, you have to exchange it with something that's either 4 million or more. Mm-hmm. So like, now I have to go find a house or an asset or a commercial property that's more expensive. So like you keep playing that game, like thinking about the people that are buying, selling a house in the Hamptons for 130 million. Mm-hmm. They don't want to pay taxes. They're going to oh, 1031 yeah. that shit. Well, guess what? They got to find something that's 130 million or or more. Like a single asset or a bundle. It was like a, was that you can get into sometimes bundle some stuff, but it's it, it. You could do two, but the two would have to be worth more. Mm-hmm. And it's more complex, but you have to put it into something that's worth more. It's very fucking hard to do, yeah. you know. So it's like sometimes you have these like parts of the world, like the Hamptons and shit. Like it's just billionaires trading money with each other. Yeah. Like the one guy's like, I really need the hundred thirty billion for this, you know, or hundred thirty million for this. Mm-hmm. Like I'm gonna sell you or buy my house, you know. Like, yeah. And they're just like, you know, they hold backdoor to top, hold yeah. on to it for me, mm-hmm. and like your collateral is this massive fucking asset. Yeah. You know, but it's like. 
There's a lot of that because they're just fucking moving money around. It's just yeah. a shell game. That, so that's like, what I'm learning. Yeah, shell so games. That, that's your end game, the shell games. Yeah. What do you mean? Like, where, where I paid so much in fucking taxes, it's, it makes your brain bleed. It's oh, like yeah. my yeah. only agenda year end and year out is like, how do I pay the least amount of taxes legally? Mm-hmm. It's like people talk shit about all these loopholes, whatever. It's like, motherfucker, the government made these loopholes. Yeah. And people call them loopholes. It's not even a fucking loophole. This is just in the tax code. Mm-hmm. Call it a loophole because somebody's smart enough to see it and some people are not smart enough to see it because they don't read. You know, you just got to read yeah. into it and have a good fucking tax person who's like, this is the way to do it. And then this shit's illegal. Like people talk about like Trump or whoever not paying taxes. And regardless of your like, uh, you know, point of view on him, if you like him or not, it's like, dude, these are all part of the tax code. This is all here for that. You know, it's like, oh, let's tax them. It's like, give away money. You no, know, it's like, you don't want to work. Like yeah. I had to bleed to get to this point. I'm going to bleed more to get to the next point. And it's like, why should I be giving away money where it's like frivolously spent on dumb shit? Like, yeah, I, I think people just don't under, like. It's a, it's like uh, one. There's that knowledge gap. Two, it's like there's such a high volume of people in that category, and then with like people's access to information and the wrong information, it just, it just like exacerbates. But like, look, like I, every day, if you look at, I text my accountant every almost every day, and I'm sending her articles that I'm just reading off Google. All day I'm reading on Google about taxes and this mm-hmm. and that and strategies. And I'm saying, is this viable? Is this an option? Like, what, what's the word on this? What's the new tax code? Like, there's all things that I'm just like, I'm interested in. I didn't know shit about this before. I'm just like yeah. reading about it because I'm very interested. I'm like, this is nuts. It's like the, even the craziest concept. Like, I think like it's nuts if I give somebody a bonus that like the government takes half. Like, if I write you, if you worked for me and I was like, I want to give you a $150,000 bonus, it sounds great, but you're getting 75000 yeah, How stupid is that? that? I would think that if you got the full 150, that you would stimulate the economy very fast. You'd probably be like, I'm going to go buy a new house or a new car or support my parents or, you know, whatever it is. I'm like, you're going to disperse that money pr- very well, I would think. And so, like, I hate that, like, half goes away. I'm like, uh, like... It goes away because it's withheld or it goes away... Because it's taxes. I just yeah. have to pay. It's a payroll yeah. tax, and I, you pay on bonuses. It's significantly more. It's, like, 40%. So, like, immediately, if I write you a check for 150K, it's not 150K. I have to withhold 40% of that and give it to the, the government. Yeah. So everyone just needs to start LLCs, single-member LLCs. Yeah, well, I just, like, uh, what a crazy concept. It's like, yeah, it I... I get taxed on the money that we make. Then I get taxed on paying you your salary and you get taxed on your bonus. Then you go buy stuff at the store, gas, whatever, it gets taxed. And then if you went and bought a, you know, a car from the dealership with money that you were already taxed on, then the, the dealership gets the money. They get taxed on that money. It's just getting taxed and taxed and taxed and taxed yeah. and taxed. You pass the money off to somebody else, you've been taxed on it, and then they're getting taxed on it. Yeah, so imagine if I like give you 150 grand, it's now 75 grand, then you go buy something for 50 grand, but now that 50 grand to them, if they're getting taxed on it, is going to be half that. So that's just like diminishing the dollar and the government's just taking it. And then, you know, like God forbid you like get your taxes wrong, like they come and gut you, you know, with all these fees and stuff for being late. And it's like, I don't know, like you just try to pay your taxes accurately, but it's just a fucking, it's a convoluted. I think it's a stupid process, but just like the government loves it because they're raking it in. They owe you money. It takes forever to get it back. But if you owe them money, you're paying interest on interest and they're coming for you. Mm -hmm. It's crazy how ass backwards it is. Yeah, it makes you think like we're in in a weird system. We are in a weird system. But, you know, Bitcoin, I guess. You know, it's like all I do with the money that we make, like other than like, sure, like I deserve some luxuries in life, but like I'm like in reinvesting in this business and other things and creating jobs and like opportunity and like how many truckers we just pay. Like we pay hundreds of truckers a month. I'm like, it was, all this stuff is stimulating the economy, but then I'm getting gouged at the end of the year for taxes. I'm like, the money I would save in, in taxes is like money that I would deploy towards more of that, which is just better for the world. I would yeah. think, but maybe I'm fucking wrong. I'm just a stupid college dropout doing this podcast. I mean, that, that is a fact. You, that is. To drop out, you are doing this podcast. Well, what's, what's like the angle? You know, like what, when, you, when you like, uh, 
dream at night, you know, what, what are you accumulating all of this for? It's like, have you thought about that? Peace of mind. Peace of mind. Just like, I feel like sometimes I look at all the stuff you do. I'm like, man, that looks really overwhelming. Sometimes this it guy's is. on the phone a lot. Like, yeah, it is overwhelming. You know, I'm putting in the work now. I've been putting in the work, so like. But do you think you'll ever be able to like not put? Like, is it just you just love like working, or what? Is, what is it about it that like? Well, I will say like over? if I go on vacation, I get like my brain needs like the stimulation of work. Yeah. Yeah, because you'll be texting something. me at vacation, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to text him because he's like eight hours ahead. Like you hear people that retire, me. and then they're like, a year later, they're like, fuck, I need to go do something. They're like, whether they're being a consultant or whatever, because it's like, it, it's very boring doing nothing. So like, you know, there's I have hobbies, but it's like, you know, I, the work stimulates me, like problem solving and figuring it out. So like my oh, yeah. one business, I've like, we've hired a lot of people and we continue to hire, but like my goal is like really, you know, um, top down, like, you know, I manage it very high level stuff and then deploy that down through like my higher end folks that are on the team and then deploy that down as it goes down kind of the tree. But it's like a lot of that's autonomous so that I can like focus on the stone business and our, you know, our house and investing business. Um, but yeah, I want to grow out those teams too. And then we have this a creative thing that we're doing now where like I want to like bring you on and like hire people underneath that. So it's like, again, it's like, I'm in the center and I manage all this stuff. It's like not sucking my time all day. Yeah. But you like, you think you like the problem solved. Cause I got, you know, I used to like envision like, Oh man, I want to run big companies. And then like, as I've gotten older and more skilled, I'm like, I just am so obsessed with just making shit that I just like, but like actually like being creative with it that I don't, like, I don't like the deal making as much. Do you, are you like more of like, you like put it, like, do you get a, a kick out of like putting together deals or like closing them? Or what, what is like the stimulating factor in it that gives I think you the two dopamine? things stimulate me? It's like I'm young relatively and like somehow like people take me seriously in these massive industries. And there's something about that like that tickles my fancy a little bit. I'm like, damn, I have like a voice that people like actually want to hear mm-hmm. and respect. Uh, and I also just see like high level stuff where like I see an issue on a top end. And I'm like, this is like a big, this is like a top down issue. This isn't like I need to fix this small part of this business. I'm like, the the top of this business is f- fucking up. And I like playing in that realm where it's like a a big effect. If you fix some of these things, like you can have this massive effect on a company. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I think like as I scale and grow, like that's where I see. It. I'm like, oh, it's like having the right. F- team in place and really deploying them and just knowing like I don't know tackling this kind of like top down approach on on businesses yeah but it's like you that's where you get the kick out of is like building building the business infrastructure kind of yeah because like for some people right like some people are like oh, I want to be a billionaire and they like you know they'll do like a they'll do like the thing that I feel like is going to do that the quickest which if you look at the data is probably like creating a software company versus well, you know, I think the most bi- I think like- the most billionaires are created from um buying uh other businesses. Well probably that, but I mean like if you're bootstrapping something right and you're starting yeah. like no, I think the fastest way is probably like you create some kind of software business. I think it scales like that's the, fastest the fucking today. that's the fucking problem with tech though. Yeah. It's like all these companies that you know, like I think there was so much money, especially when the the WeWork stuff was going on, it was like mm-hmm. There's so much free money like, out there, like, like yeah. f- uh, disposable money from billionaires and trillionaires and banks and, you Your know. Venture funds and Yeah, stuff. and so, like, they were just throwing money at anything. Like, we talk about throwing shit at the wall. They're throwing, like, $100 billion shit at the wall, you know. And, like, it's nothing to them. And so, like, you had all these people with just, like, these valuations, like, non-profitable company. The runway is, like, too, so long, and they're not really solving a problem. They're all just, like, everybody's just trying to get bought out or have this nuts-ass valuation, and get paid, you know, but they're not really trying to like build a business. Mm-hmm. That was the problem before. I just love building a business and seeing where it can go, but I've built a lot of businesses and like some of them just capped out, you know, of like it's me yeah. or I don't see it scalable. Like this last company was like the first one I was like, I can really see the matrix. And now it's like, now when I've done that, I'm like, how else can I see the matrix on something else? So when, yeah. I, when I look at stuff now, I'm like, I can see where all the cracks are. Like you're doing a lot of like integration, it. right? It's like if you hadn't done freight, if you hadn't had to deal with logistics and freight and all that, like the stone stuff probably would have been way more intimidating to even 
consider because like you, if you had no context of that side of stuff at all, that's probably why. So when most I did companies... when I did freight, everybody told me not to do it. Yeah. It's stupid. Same thing with appliances. Don't do it. It's stupid. But I did all this stuff, and I was like, there's just small parts of this that nobody's seeing. Yeah. That like, it doesn't seem that hard to fix. Like the idea is not hard. It's just execution. So it's just like finding smart enough people to execute on it and like push down to them like my desire to get this fixed. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did. Yeah. But like freight was like, oh, I just want to control on time deliveries and communications with drivers because we were, you know, using brokers and like they just are fucking terrible at doing that. And so you had a bunch of irritated customers. So once I got all the control and I'm like, all right, how do we like then maximize this asset of this business where it's like, okay, now this could be a viable transportation service, you know, and we could make money and now Mm -hmm. it makes really good money. And that ties in because we have all the loads. It's just like all these things are just, it just made sense. At least to me, it made sense. This is how I look at stuff. When I see a business, I'm like, this is what's broken. I see that what makes sense to fix. And I see the path. It's the same thing with the stone. I'm like, Oh, the hardest part is the access, and now I have the access, and it's like, what's missing? You know, it's like filling in these things. It just takes a lot more money and effort. But that's like the same thing we do with 1031 Exchange. I'm like 1031 exchanging my, like, time from logistics into the stone, but it's like it takes a lot of capital to get there. And so, like, you can't buy a – you can't 1031 into a – really to a $5 million house – if you're just trading two, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollar house, I built this like four million dollar house, and I'm like, now I can play in this five million to ten million dollar range, you know, and so on and so forth. So just like exchanging my time from one, building up all the kind of know how and infrastructure, and I'm like, now I can take this on this huge project mm-hmm. because I have all this experience where I can really exchange my time, and it's like I might be at the ground level of this, but I wouldn't be at the ground level had I not done, you know, kind of like worked up this one pillar. Yeah. So you silo it down, and then you start to, once you like feel like you've built a good foundation with the team, you just start to naturally integrate into the next thing or start, I guess your mind probably wanders at that point when you're getting bored of yeah. one problem, and you I just start got bored. One. I got like, I was getting somewhat bored. Like, there's things that I do and tackle for that business all the time, but like, I figured out all the like infrastructure. So like, for me, it's like with the stone, it's like figuring out the infrastructure, and then once that's there, and I feel like it's concrete, and then it's just like... You know, then you're just adding team yeah. and things. Then you're on your phone on Pinterest, like, oh, maybe I should make some furniture out of this stuff too. Yeah, I just like Furniture's look. At, I'm like, n- there's nobody at the end of the day. Even if I'm competing with the slab for slab, I'm like, nobody here. Can there's only one direct here. importer uh, in Charlotte. Yeah. <laughs> that guy, but nobody here is able to make furniture like that. Yeah. Like they would like cut some slabs and have to make some really squared off. You know, like all you have is like basic machinery here to fabricate like a square table. I'm talking about like making stuff that's like hand cut, hand, you know, like put together, hand sanded, like all this stuff where it's like, it's got all these curves and cuts and things. It's like, you need to be an artisan to make this. And so we have the artisans. I'm like, that's another differentiator. It's like somebody comes to me and is like, man, I wish, I love this table from Kelly Wurstler, but it's a side table. I wish this could be, a dining table and I would change this and I wish it was in a black stone. I'm like, we can make that. Most yeah. other people motherfucking can't. Yeah. Now I feel like the undertone of when I think about you, I'm like, you just like to make really unique, high quality. Sh- like you're not like a, you're like not trying to be in the commodity business where it's like a race to the bottom. You're like, I'm trying to make nice. Yeah, I want shape. I want to be the pincher. I want to be the image on the Pinterest board. Yeah. I want to be an architectural like digest. Like for somebody the brands, re- at least that you that you like to build, are like yeah. they're like very uh, luxury focused. You know, I think yeah, about we like just have like our design. level of service is much higher. Yeah, like at the end of the day, it's like I care too yeah. much, maybe sometimes, but it's like we care, and a lot of people don't. So like, I care about my customers making money. I care about the stone being the best stone. I care about using a fabricator that can do the most complex installs so that it can execute on like where my ideas are. It's just like, you have to care and want that. And if you don't care and want that, then like it's going to be, well, you're not going to attract like those types. Yeah. Of then you're just going to yeah. very standard shit. There's a lot yeah. of standard installers out there. Just do basic plug and play countertops. I mean, I even saw it like when you had the, when they were doing the door and it's like, you meet some guy that obviously is like very like doing unique shit. It's like immediately, 
were there for like an extra thirty minutes because you, yeah, the you're install like going to the phone. Yeah, you're yeah. like you're like oh, this is like a guy, you know. This but is that's a, that's like person. another thing. It's like look, I'm building, we're building this house, and we're doing all these crazy things. It's like had I never built the house and done that, we would have never met that guy. And like maybe we have a whole other sector that we get into with like wood furniture that he can create, you know, that yeah. ties in with our stone stuff. And it's like you never know. Like well, people what? talk about like the law of attraction, but it's like that you attract those people from like the stuff that you're putting your time into. So it's like to your point, like if you hadn't been building that kind of house, like you're never gonna really meet someone that needed a subcontract, like a very bespoke installer that can do a rounded, whatever ten thirty thousand dollar door install. You know, so it's like it's a great door. I think though. that it is. It's like a massive Hobbit door. I love that door. Yeah, it's gonna feel great walking through. We'll that. cut an image of the door. It's a phenomenal yeah. door. We need a screen so I can we can do we this. We do. I mean, we have that one, but we really just need like a better room. Like a, I'm working yeah, on it. Yeah, you, maybe we'll save that for next time. We'll get more into like the the brand stuff. You know, we talked about logistics. Now I've talked about Fellhouse Stone. Next time we can talk about the other the other stuff, creative stuff. Cool. Fancy like a good place to wrap Since it up. Since I was broke, still broke, working on it. Yep, it's in progress. There you go. All because of taxes. Taxes. All right. Till next time. Subscribe. Rate the podcast. Do podcast stuff. Share it to your, share it to five friends. We have twenty years of bad luck. And uh, buy some stone. Like, subscribe, and uh, buy a slab. Goddamn it. Mention in the comments what you want us to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Do that. All right. This one's done. Adios.